Okay, so this is a fun one. As I told you, we are going to take a brief trip down to Lovecraft Country. Um, this entire episode is full of spoilers. You should not listen to this episode if you have not completed first season. Hopefully first season out of several, but as of now, the first season of Lovecraft Country, an HBO show that we're going to discuss in detail. Um, if you are partway through the season, don't listen. Stop. Go listen to another episode. I got like 30-something. If you are going to just start at some other point, maybe you could listen, but the whole thing will be spoiled for you. So if you listen to this, then don't go watch a show for like a year. And I would tell you, if you listen to this, you're going to want to watch it. And you're just going to ruin the experience for yourself. I don't know why you would do that. Uh, I know I'm turning away listeners, but this is, this is, well, a special situation. And finally, uh, if you have no interest in the show whatsoever, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, but I guess you can listen. Otherwise, if you've finished the show, take a listen. We're going to talk about our reactions to all of the themes in it, to characters, to some of the things we felt we loved, some of the things we may not have liked as much. Um, and I'm on this episode with Keisha Wheel, and it's, it's going to be good to hear what each of us think. All right. Okay, welcome back, folks, to One Standardized English. We have a, a special episode today. Um, this is a bonus, and we're just going to talk a little bit about Lovecraft Country. And if you haven't seen it, as I said in the intro a second ago, you shouldn't listen to this. You just shouldn't listen to the episode. I told you already not to listen to the episode if you haven't seen the show, and here you are listening. If So I don't know what to tell you at this point. I guess you're just going to have the whole thing spoiled for you. Um, I'm not doing this by myself, though. I'm here with the illustrious Keisha Wheel, um, and she is going to tell us a little bit about her research first, and then we're going to talk about the show. So, Keisha, welcome to this show, not Lovecraft Country, but welcome to this show that you're on here. <laughs> well, thanks, Justin, for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Keisha Wheel. I am a PhD candidate in anthropology at Temple. Uh, my research is grounded in linguistic anthropology, so I am researching how language, ideologies, and identity intersect in educational setting in urban Curacao. So long story short, I follow around teens in high schools in urban Curacao and see how they talk. So. See, that's interesting. I've been to both of those <laughs> places, but I don't, really, I don't know I didn't really meet any of the teens. So. <laughs> so. They're, they're cool in their own way, but you know, they're teenagers, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when 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 the the research comes out, I'm cer- I'm certainly curious about what is similar and what's and what's dissimilar because there's always going to be some things that are similar because it's teenagers. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. But yeah, but we're not here to talk about that. We're going to talk no. about Lovecraft Country, um, which is a show that just it is October 20th as we record this, so it ended two nights ago, um, or the first season. They haven't announced the second one yet, which you know we better get to it. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't mean it won't happen, just hasn't been announced yet. They um, need an NBA bubble, yeah. like Lovecraft, get your Lovecraft bubble and start shooting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm curious about it just because like the book ends there, basically. 
like mm. the novel it's based on. I didn't read it, but like I know about what happens in the novel. I went back and looked back, looked at looked it up, and what happens on in the finale is slightly different, but that's basically where it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it's kind of like. Um, Oh no, I can't even think of the example I was going to use. But the point is, the point is, like, it, it could easily have been a sort of self-contained thing situation. But yeah. they they uh, they left it a little bit too open for me for for them to end. I feel like there has to be more that's going to happen. Yeah. They have to have a second season because they left it. I mean, yes, they wrapped it up, but I also feel like they left it open. So there's going to be a second season. It We're willing that into existence. Exactly, exactly. And I think to me, for me, um, when it got really, you know, it started, I, I, I mean, like, you know, I set up previews and, you know, you know, and, and then the first episode was like, you know, it was interesting doing the like sundown town thing. And I've been doing a lot of research on that. So it was interesting mm-hmm. to see that in the, in the first episode. Um, and then, you know, and then there was like monsters and magic. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, like I, I knew it was going to happen, but I was just sort of like, oh, okay, then uh, we'll see where you're going with this. Um, and to me, it sort of turned a corner and, and you can have, you can say what you think in a second when they did the, the like body switching episode when, when Ruby, Ooh. you know, when, yeah. It turns out that she's, or I guess the woman's name was Dell, who was the groundskeeper. Um, right. And that episode is when it was like, okay, okay, I knew they were trying to do something and they were building to it, but that's when it's sort of locked in a place for me. You know, um, that doesn't mean the stuff before it wasn't interesting. But to me, when it locked in the place with all the themes that, that I found compelling was in that episode. I don't know about you when you got super hooked or, or whatever, but. Um, I want to say I got hooked probably the first episode I'm not gonna lie the first five minutes I was like this is interesting this is different but I'm gonna keep watching because we're in a pandemic yeah but you know good television whatever and then like by the end of the first episode I was like okay but they're ending this like this is the season finale where else can they go from here you know what I mean yeah I was just intrigued and I kept coming back and I think it's episode three where um is that when letty moves into the house i believe yeah i think that's episode three that's when i really really started becoming like a hardcore fan because i think for me the fact that they were including a lot of the historical narrative of history because it's not just black history it's history of the united states that's like i love that i love it so much so i was like okay okay, now I'm going to sit there and watch it like twice or maybe three times just to catch all the little historical nuances. And then I'm going to go and research on Twitter instead of researching for my own dissertation to try and figure out, you know, what's all the stuff, what's all the things that are in there. So, you know, I think it had to have been, I think episode three is when I really, really got hooked. And then, yeah, episode five, when Ruby turns into a white woman and this whole concept of, passing in a way and literally passing because she's white (laughs) you know I that just threw me for a whole loop because I think it's one thing to critique black people when we're in white spaces and we're quote-unquote acting white you know this idea of, of putting on the white veneer to survive and then the literal like transformation into a white woman for me was just a whole other level like I really hope that there are going to be um 
there are going to be some college courses on Lovecraft Country. There has to be. Well, I think if you if you put this in with with like the the Peel movies, right? You know, there's a whole syllabus that could be created off of the right. recent black horror. I mean, he was a producer of this, right? Right. So you know, there's 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 a lot that's going into really examining history, and I think that th- there's always been a strain of examining history in some horror movies. Like that's not completely new. You know, Candyman came out like 30 years ago. And they're making a new one and they push they push it back to next year because of the pandemic. But like right. we made a new one. Um and it's the same guy. Like yeah, it's the same guy. So it's a sequel. Um <laughs> and and the main character is the dude from Watchmen that just won the Emmy. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, all right, you know, I I, I when when it makes sense to go to movie theaters, I'd like to go to that. <laughs> um but yeah, the looking up all of the things that they sort of brought into it instead of just telling the story about these I don't know, 10 people or something like that and and really thinking about like you know passing as white really becoming white but then you realize as you see like we know she's not actually white but what does it mean to be white right right, right. Was she white i mean like she she was visibly white but <laughs> she retained her thoughts and obviously her body underneath but you know what i'm saying like yeah um she retained all of that history whereas when you think about someone like all these people who are pretending to be black now like <laughs> you, you we realize that like we talk about essentialism and how you can't just you know say that someone is white or, or not white or black or not white not black just by looking at them um right. but like what you can't do if you haven't lived it is have that internal experience like right. you can't do that right. um and it was interesting to see how when she was white or when she was Hillary, let's call it that way, because that's <laughs> the character's name. Um, she, she did retain some elements, not just her own history, but some elements of her blackness, right? They were all talking about how she was dancing and all this stuff. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that. Yeah. And but, yeah, let me, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say that I, I think... Um, the comparison to like the Rachel Dolezal's, right? That's her last name, of the world. Um, well, her name now is, <laughs> is like, um, I would look it up. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's right. She did change it. I totally forgot about that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, that idea of sort of putting on these monikers of blackness, right? Yeah. And, and these different monikers. So I think like, you know, the most recent one, uh, Jess, Jess La Bombalera, right? That was, <laughs> you know, where it's not just the stereotypical performances of Blackness, but she's literally going between different codes of Blackness, right? So she started off as like North African Black, and then she went to Southern Black, and now she's Puerto Rican Black. And, you know, it was like these whole different cultural nuances that you know, apparently people picked up on, but were too afraid to tell, say anything about it, which brings a whole different level of colorism into it. But when we look at Ruby, on the other hand, you're right, in essence, in the fact that, like, she never lets go of her Blackness. Actually, she doesn't. She just has the white skin, and people perceive her as white, but as soon as she starts to perform Blackness, let's put it like that, the performance of blackness you know when they're listening to the radio and she starts dancing and you know i think one of the girls is like oh yeah you're definitely ready for the south side yeah and it's just that to me i think was was really interesting in this this 
idea of performativity and how if this is who you are it's always going to jump out no matter what like you know we are taught in many ways how to behave in certain company let's say as people of color we're constantly taught you know um we have to speak a certain way we have to act a certain way and now that we're looking at it we call it respectability politics right like we know that's not going to save us from getting killed and then here you have ruby who doesn't really even peddle on respectability politics like at all she's just herself and her white skin saves her to an extent and that really sort of i think for me throws it on our head and sort of critiques the idea of respectability politics right because it's just like at the end of the day she's still herself but because of her skin color that's what gives her that pass right and no matter how we try to change internally it's our skin color is what's going to measure how people are going to respond to us so and yeah the interesting thing was her inter- her interactions as hillary with the other well at that point as people knew only black employee yeah. of the department store yeah um who was also dark skinned um yes. and but was more like she was thin is really yeah. the main difference between the two of them physically right. aside from once she obviously had the white skin but you know what i mean yeah um and you know she assumed that she had taken like uh you know a course to be to be right. more qualified but it it really it wasn't any of the markers of respectability that allowed the woman to get the job now I, i'm not trying to dismiss this woman i'm just saying i mean she's fictional right but, but like but it's true yeah like ruby's realizing like nope it was literally just they liked the way she looked uh, yeah now she hadn't been rejected for the job yet right it hadn't happened yet <laughs> like she went in there to apply and found that the woman worked there right but she still knew that it wouldn't happen for her not only because there was another person there but because she didn't look like that person looked um and i'm sorry but i think she also said that she had applied a couple of times before oh, and right, she yeah. tweaking her resume that was the whole point of her like taking all of these classes so yeah. seeing that sort of educational difference between the two of them ruby is sort of acting in this classist sense because of the fact that i think i think it was on twitter maybe that somebody was talking about pretty privilege or beautiful privilege something like that i think i meant privilege thin privilege right where yeah. that that really is a thing you know a lot of people we tend to discount it because we look more at sort of the historical factors of race of gender of sexual orientation but we tend to forget that like someone like ruby could have all the credentials but if she doesn't look quote unquote the part she's not getting it you know and if they have a quota to fill they're going to fill it with the person who they think looks the part not necessarily the one who can do the work you know which is unfortunate but it i think you know that also i'm glad that they highlighted that cuz they showed you know that that's how it happens in the real world too we we don't like to discuss it often you know it's not a big topic of discussion but it is the truth right and you people would have to admit to making judgments of people's appearance right um to have that discussion you know i mean obviously people who are receiving it no but like you would have to say that you were paying like we all notice 
So the fact that we pretend we don't notice is silly. Like we know right. the differences in people. Um, and especially for a job like that, that is public facing and they are part of the job is marketing. Literally like by being there, you're marketing right. material. Um, it, and this is the fifties. Like I, it's, it, at that time, it's just ridiculous to think that they wouldn't be thinking about that. But even now, like, if you go into well not now but like you know at a, a normal time like you walk into a department store I'm pretty sure they still look more like the woman who was hired than Ruby right right I'm I can guarantee it right Especially in certain stores I mean even in a department store like Macy's nothing against Macy's out there I don't want to get sued um but I mean you can you can compare like the Macy's on 34th street that gets a ton of traffic versus like the Macy's that's all the way out on Long Island, you know, they're going to, they're going to market to who they want to see. Exactly. You know, they want the people who work there to reflect the people who they want to buy from. Right. Or to, they want to buy, they want to buy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not to do the, do the buy. Um, the consumer. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> that's the correct word um language people right um so if we there's there's a lot to talk about i want to to think a little bit about like how the show really tried i think to to branch off from ruby to some other characters to to highlight black women in different facets mm-hmm. of black femininity and and in in a lot of different ways you know and that's one of the things that i think um was really important to see is that like it's first of all black women don't look the same yeah right like, <laughs> these women were all black right and at no point was anybody saying well you're not really like they were black um yeah. and they identified as such whether they were light-skinned dark skin, like the, the differences in the color and all that was important but they were still all black right you know um and also showing that, that there's no monolith in terms of behavior, attitude, you know, and so forth. I mean, I found that, I mean, it's not surprising to me, <laughs> or, or, you know, I mean, I'm black and all in my life, but like, it, it, it's still different to see on a, you know, mainstream television show for there be that many different facets of black womanhood and black motherhood, because like the mothers and right. aunts and grandma, great, 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 it was a lot of mother, I don't know things going on in there um that were that were shown there because you know just knowing that it's not all the same is, is really i think something that is it's 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 so basic for right to understand but really different for people who the, the general audience of the show i think yeah i i totally agree with you there and i think that's the, what makes the show great is the fact like you said that there were so many different facets of black women and I mean they were sort of the highlight of the show like looking back on the show I mean yes Tick is the star of the show and his complicated relationship with Montrose you know it's a big part of it but there's sort of an afterthought when we think of like the relationship between you know uh, Ruby and uh, Letty or even um, later on with Dee and her mom you know, we see these different facets and we see who gets to be free in certain instances and who doesn't, especially, especially that relationship, I think, between Ruby and Letty. 
You know, we see that Ruby, she had, in order for her to survive in this world, she has to have a certain reservation about herself. Even if she, once she turns to white, it still doesn't matter because at the end of the day, she's going to be this dark-skinned, fat Black woman, you know, and she can be the most badass character in the show, but she knows that she's not going to be able to move within certain spaces the way Letty can, but it still doesn't. I think what I really like about the show is that it still doesn't diminish Letty's um, position in the world. I think you can say, you know, like on her adventures with Tick and Montrose and, and the rest of them, there's still this level of um, how we would say, I would say it's, there's still this level of her being sort of the woman of the group. So being chased, being, you know, maybe even might get killed more so than like Tick or Montrose would, you know, and I'm thinking specifically about uh, that episode, the, the second to last episode where they're in Tulsa, yeah. you know, and I think that, that for me really shows it, shows it in, in really like true colors and almost, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but in the sense of like, we see her running away, you know, she's not like Tick who Tick, goes and saves the day and he has the bat and he's beating up everybody. Like she has to run. She's a black woman in 1920 something, you know what I mean? And she's outnumbered. She doesn't have any type of weapons. So how, how is she going to defend herself? She has to run away and search for safety. So there's this whole different dynamic where I really feel like it's just, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. And, um, I think that there's a lot to be said about um, her, about Letty, um, about the fact that she's the one who gets the invulnerability, which right. I know is part of the plot, but I think it also means something, right? In terms of her getting that versus her sister who ends up dying. Right. Um, <laughs> you know. And also is sort of like this lover character to, um, to Christina. You know, you would assume that the lover would get a little bit more, but Letty is the one who gets it. So that brings a whole different level to it. Well, because you think about like so many times that Letty, well, first of all, she does die in the first episode, but then she's just not there that, you know. She it's comes stuff, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> that's like four times. I don't know. She gets thrown out of the tower. But like, I, I think what's also being shown, not literally because some of it's magic stuff, but like, if she were a different person, maybe if she were Ruby, then many of the times that she is, she's protected with the magic, she may have actually perished. And I think my, part of that might be her relative position compared to someone right. like Ruby, you know? Like, uh, I know it's literally magic on the show, but, right. like, you know, saying that she does have an additional level of protection. And it also shows the responsibility of people who are in a not a high position, but a, a slightly relatively higher position to use it right. to, to help the people who are in the community in some other way. Right. Um, I'm not saying they're pointing their finger at like light-skinned women and be like, you better get, you better do it. But I do think <laughs> that's part of what was being shown, especially when they finally connected at the end, is that Letty has spent all this time just running away from the family. Right. And, I, right. and then like, they're saying like, you know, we're supposed to protect our community. Um, I mean, everybody's supposed to do that, but like showing that like, <laughs> she was able to go run around um, for how much time, be it Dale or whatever she was doing, 
right. and then come back and leave and come back and leave and they were saying like you know you have the ability to do that so you also should yeah. be able to stay um and then well eventually um we'll, we'll get to christina um <laughs> I think I feel like there's a whole other episode. I feel like like she's feel, a whole completely different episode. I feel I feel like I'm saving her for the end. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, if Elida was I, who who people kept saying, I hope we get like some time with her. Like we definitely got some time with Elida by the end. Yeah, that was the I think that was maybe the strangest episode. <laughs> when, <laughs> she's off in different parts of uh, and she's with the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, and she's in. Um, Paris, she's with Josephine Baker, um, you know, singing and talking about, like, talking sort of vaguely about mental health, um, and, and, but not using those words, um, and, you know, bringing up different aspects of how she's always seen as left behind and forgotten, but she was brilliant, obviously, um, right. and then it always just made me think about how many people must have been like her at the time. And right. never got to go to space and turn blue or I don't know, but <laughs> I mean it's a metaphor. But like it, you know, it, it's it's it just made me think about how many people had those skills, not whether they're literal math skills or whatever, but like those level of skills and just never had a chance to do any of it. Right, and I think about that a lot, especially now that you're bringing that up in terms of. Um, I keep thinking of this quote about how people are talking about where, where it comes to like the divorce rate, there's usually, they have that discussion where they say, you know, our grandmothers would have divorced our grandfathers back then if they had, you know, if they had the money or they had the skill or they- and, Or you somewhere know, to go. Right, or somewhere to go. And I think about that often because I, I even like, for example, I look to my great grandmothers, right? And I'm hearing the stories about them and they were both single, ish women in the early 1900s you know on caribbean islands and you know they had their kids but they were working they were hustlers they did what they had to do men i especially like on my mother's side they said that um like the matrilineal side that men feared her and they respected her in that sense she owned this hotel where they had a bar and you know here's this and she was a very fair-skinned woman so here's this fair-skinned woman in like the early 1900s who owns a hotel who owns a bar and like men fear her and she has four kids and no husband and i'm sitting here thinking to myself like i can't even fathom that in that time because we don't see these stories at all we never see these stories and i think that's why it's so great to see hippolyta in that aspect because of the fact that we we don't get to see how those type of women, they, they had to survive in a way. And, you know, in Hippolyta's case, she uses magic. She goes into the multiverse and she names herself. And I think for me, as a Black woman, that, among other episodes, I think that hit me the hardest, you know, to be quite honest. Like, it hit me, in, like, deep into my soul somewhere. It, it just attached itself because of the fact of, you know, we have, you know, this idea that she said that, I make myself small, you know, I, I, I make myself small so that you can shine, you know, and she even tells it to her closest loved ones. And I, I think about that constantly, how 
we as black women, as black people, but black women in particular, we constantly have to make ourselves small, you know, because we're, we don't know how we're going to per be perceived in the outside world. And I love the fact that when she comes back from the multiverse, she's like this boss woman. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care what people say, you know, and she's just like, listen, I got to save my daughter. I have the tools. I'm not going to let you run it. I'm running the show. Let's do this. You she's know, like, especially I was away for 200 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's get this popping. It's time, you know. Uh, yeah, no, she was, she was great. And I always met, I mentioned this on Twitter is that like when, when the movie was filmed in my house, Anjanu Ellis was in it. So that was cool. Um, it was like 16 years ago. Back, back then I knew her as the, the character from, from Undercover Brother, but um, she's uh, sister yeah. girl. Um, yes, I totally forgot about that, which was another kind yeah. of powerful role if we think about it. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Though. Yeah. Um, she wasn't playing a mother back then. Um, no. And yeah, no, because I think that, you know, she literally, I mean, everybody took part in saving the day, but like she, she did a lot of it literally just because she understood things better than other people did. And she also, yeah. and when she got to talk to George, she got to say to him, like, you know, you always kept me in the background. Yeah. Like I, I was capable of doing as much as you, not more so. Um, and you know, and, and he had to literally be gone for her to take, take the the power. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that he was some bad guy or whatever. I mean, that's just how patriarchal <laughs> stuff worked back then and still today. But I think I was gonna say still today. I think, and that's the thing that is beautiful about that particular part of that episode is the fact that. You know, I think it's easier for us to tell strangers or to tell people that we're not close to, to listen to us, you know, to scream at them, to hear us, to say, I am so-and-so, this is who I am, you're not going to misname me. But to your loved ones, you know, the ones who are supposed to be looking out for you, they might not be, and it might just be because they don't know. Like George had no clue that he was doing that, you know? He thought he was just protecting his wife. And then when in actuality, she's like, no, I, I wanted to go on these adventures. I could do it. But I made myself small so that you could go and be who you needed to be. And I think, you know, to have that conversation with a loved one, I think that's the most difficult part. That was the most difficult part. So I think it was beautifully done in a way that it showed that sort of humanity and the fact that George and this multiverse listened to her you know he wasn't defensive about it and he wasn't like well you know I would have let you go on wherever you wanted it's just you know he was just like oh I didn't realize I was doing that I'm sorry you know and I also think man maybe they should have let her go with them in the first episode and maybe he wouldn't have died <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know I mean like I, I I get that they left her to to watch her, her 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 daughter but like still it's like and then they got back and they just lied to her and she's like no 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 um <laughs> and she just went over there herself <laughs> it's like i know you're lying i'm yeah. just gonna find it out for myself just just stop this stop it <laughs> but then she does the same thing to her daughter yes and then she goes yeah. and she lies, she lies to her daughter about where she went and uh, you know what's going on and her daughter's like i understand too stop this and she She's that generational trauma, man. Right. You just keep reproducing it. Right. You pass it on. And then one of the great things about B, if we can switch into her, one of the great things about the, 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 the arc that she had is when, you know, like when Montrose is trying to protect her, but 
like at the end, but like is allowing the phantoms to harm her, right? Right. Because he can't see them. Right. Literally not his fault. He thinks he's literally stopping them from harming her, but he's immobilizing her and allowing them to, you know, stab. I don't know what it is. Her arm rot. It's complicated. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, you you it's it and I, some of the reviews I was reading was talking about how it's like black men can 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 really try, but they can't actually see inside of what black women are going through. Yeah, uh, and so like literally at that point, he's literally doing all he like he can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's like, and, I, I, yeah. And no, I was gonna say I I think about that a lot when they're like fighting over her as she's turning into like one of these topsy and bopsy type characters yeah. where they're like, oh, but you should have been watching her, but you should have been watching her. And it's like, well, every time, like, especially with Letty, I remember that scene, they were there. It wasn't like they weren't there. It's just that because these adults can't see her, can't see what's happening to her, that she has to fight this battle on her own, you know? And I think that's something that, was really sort of poignant to me too is like you're fighting your demons no matter how much you try to verbalize them to other people at the end of the day you still have to fight your own battles you know yeah. and it's like oh to do that as a child is just oh man like yeah a whole different level and there's there's there was a, an interesting thing about it because they all are sort of being honest with her that like the, you know like the murder of your friend is not something that they haven't been through Right. Yeah. So there's so Montrose says, like, you know, it's like first rite of passage, especially at that time, but it's not as un it's not that uncommon now. Um, but they're saying it in kind of a patronizing way. Right. Right. They're just like, well, I mean, like they all they go to the, the funeral and everything like they do what people are doing. They're not unsupported, but they right. can't see how she's feeling. It's not just right. like I think they're understanding the grief. They're understanding the collective grief. Right. But not under. They can't, and to some extent, they literally can't because it's not literally their friend. Understand on the inside how she's feeling. They never really ask her how she's feeling. They tell no. her how. They tell her how to. They tell her what they think she should do to deal with it, which is not a bad thing to do if it's part of also listening to her. Right. Um, and so none of them listen to her, and she knows they're not going to listen to her. And so then she, you know, runs around acting out and, you know, the police curse her and then there's magic, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, you know, like whenever you try to explain this stuff, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, it sounds totally out of this world every right. time you're trying to explain it. Um, but it's like, it's like I met somebody once who was really into Lost and they just kept trying to explain. I'm like, I don't need to, like, we don't need to have this conversation right now. They're like, no, but then the others come. I'm like, we don't need to have this conversation right now. Because it's not, not doing anything for me. Right? I'm just like, I, I said, I didn't want to watch the show. Um, <laughs> but I can see if you're not into this, then you listen to that, you're like, what are you talking about? But anyway, yeah, she gets cursed. And then first she's chased by and then turns into uh, a, what? A pick and any caricature, right? Yeah. Um, and the, uh, I don't know. I mean, that whole, the, 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 the way that the actors were contorting themselves, I mean, I'm sure there was CGI involved, but um, 
and then chasing after her because it, it, it's like they weren't really moving very fast. So no, part of you is just like, just run. Like what? The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I understand. Yeah. I was just like, why don't you just leave? So, like, I know at the beginning when she's seeing them and they're hiding and all that, but I'm just like, why don't you just leave? But that's the thing about because it's an emotional representation. I mean, I know they're literal monsters, but I mean in the sense of what the show is trying to say, they're something that you can't really get away from. Right. Um, and we one can determine what the allegory is and that's what the future college classes will be about you know what is represented by it um but yeah and i thought that um i was glad they really gave her a showcase towards the end too and um and then she gets the last scene in the entire show um (laughs) i love it her and her black shagoth just like yeah it could be just another comic book spinoff that they don't even have to do it on tv like just give us the web series at least Yeah, with her with her bionic arm. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, uh, I mean, yeah. So before we go into, uh, well, no, I guess we could talk about, about um, I'm, I'm saving Christina, but <laughs> there's, there's a couple. So the most question mark character for me is probably Gia, where, I mean, like it, 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 she's she's literally a sex monster but like like just literally like there's not literally literally Literally. um and but she's also a clone of the woman's daughter who right but she's like she's like a good sex monster like you know because she's like conscious yeah which isn't you know that that trope of like monster develops soul has happened many times but like right um I thought but I don't think it's ever happened in the sense of like she kills people through sex and then like starts to get empathy. I, I think that's it's a whole new take on that genre. So well, I mean, I think part of it is that like she was sent out to kill presumably bad men, right? right? And uh, I think what they're showing is that people who've done some bad things are not necessarily fully bad because you know a lot of the soldiers in the korean war did bad things and atticus is one of them um he didn't do all of the bad things you know but like he didn't it turned out pull the trigger that time or something complicated like that but he still was involved in war atrocities um and so he is seen at first as someone who was deserving of the soul explosion thing. Um, <laughs> and then she realizes that, no, he's, he's, you know, she sees all the stuff that happens in the show and so forth and realizes he's, he's, he's not someone she wants to do that to. Um, right. And there's a really, it's, I wonder what that means in the sense of just like, <laughs> you know, can we all aspire to be a person that the sex monster would not kill? Um, <laughs> because, because, I mean, that's it's just like the goal is like, do not be the person, like be the person that the sex monster would spare for de- determined that you, that you, you know, you're not deserving of having your body exploded or something. But that's um, humanity though, right? That's yeah. like, that's, that's being a human. And I think that's the whole point of it. A first, I love the fact that they did it through the perspective of Koreans yeah. instead of like 
look at us Americans coming in and saving the day. Yeah, because, you know, I was telling, I was talking to a friend about this and I was like, you know, honestly, in high school in the US, like we didn't learn nothing about the Korean War. Like we know that it happened, but you know, it's the same thing with the Vietnam War. We don't get like a clear ending for it. Whereas with like World War II, we spend months and months and months. And it's like, that's the clear ending that we won. You know, whereas the Korean War, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that happened. Let's move on to the next thing, you know? It didn't, and, it, it never technically ended, right? No, like, right, exactly. No, liter literally it never technically ended. They have like an armistice, but it's right. like, technically there was no like treaty signed. Right. They just, they just split the country in half. So, you and know. that's what, I mean, I don't know in your high school, but in my high school, we weren't learning about any of that. It was just oh, like, they, they just yeah. skipped over it. They were like, so World War II, there was another war, and then we were in, and then we were in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and then I, that's it. Most of the yeah. stuff I learned about Korea is when I lived in Korea. So, wow. yeah. you know, was I started my teaching career in South Korea, and it's actually in the city that they're in, because the episode's called Meet Me in Daegu, and it's actually where yeah. I live. Um, oh, wow. And there's a lot, I mean, it's just, it's like, Take was like Dallas. It's just like a large nondescript city. But I mean, it's really just what it, it's not. It's not like Miami. It's not like LA. I'm just for an analog. It's not the New York. New right. York obviously, Seoul is the second, yeah. second largest city is Busan. That's kind of like in LA because it's on the other side of the country and it's warmer. Mm. But Daegu is just sort of hot. It's in the middle of the country. It's just kind of there. Um, but there's a lot of military bases there. There's a lot of military bases all over the country. But there's a lot of military right. bases in Daegu, especially. And so it makes a lot of sense that this episode would be set there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I just, I, I, I was just sort of wondering, like, we're over here, how is she going to come back in, you know, and that she, it seemed, it's one of those things, it's like, it's like Frankenstein. I'm just like, why would you build so much of a person into, like, you had to build enough of a person for the people to want to sleep with them. Right, because right. if she just you know <laughs> a zombie, it wouldn't work. But like that is automatically going to to lead to uh, right. But you know, and then her, <laughs> and then her her mother like started treating her well when she after she went to the the shaman that last time is what she said. Yeah, you know, um, and it just seemed like there's just so much like trauma going on in that in that family <laughs> because you know she married to escape poverty and then like the, the husband was like an abuser of the child or something like right. that like the, the version of her that she cloned to make her um, yeah yeah so it was and uh, that's the thing i think i don't even think she was supposed to be a clone i think the kumiho overtook the body of the daughter oh right and then if she kills a hundred men the kumiho i guess was supposed to like leave the body Right. And then the Kumiho is getting like the spirit and it's like, listen, your daughter is gone. Yeah. Like she don't live here no more. It's just me, you know? And I, I find that fascinating. And I mean, side note, I just, I really need to put this out there. The fact that Tick was making these long distance calls, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, that was the one thing to me that I'm like, yo, they really need to explain this even if it's a side story or something, because I'm like, it's 1950, 1950 something, right? Because the Korean War happens 1950, 1953. So I don't remember exactly what year this is all taking place, but I'm just like, 1955. I'm like, homie is making these collect calls like she lives in Jersey. I don't understand why. <laughs> like, this is crazy to me. But like, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that she ended up being in the final episode and we see her purpose, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. Um, being part of the family, not necessarily just like being Tick's savior, because I'm not going to lie, I was going to be really slowly annoyed if it was just like, we get this beautiful episode, Meet Me in Daegu, and like, that's it, that we hear from her. You know, we never hear from her again. And it's like, no, she's a Kumiko. Like, there has to be a reason why she saw his future like that, because this is the first person that she's, this has happened to, I think. If I'm not mistaken, she said this was the first person that she's ever been able to see yeah. past their death with her. So, you know, there, there, there had to be a reason why she was there, why she was linked. And I love the fact that in the end, Tick is just like, yeah, no, our, our destinies are intertwined. So we're family. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love that moment, but then there's also a part of me who's like, mm, that was your ex-girl though. So how is this going to work? Your ex-girl and your new girl and your new girl is pregnant with your child and your ex-girl who you really, that was like your first everything. It's not even she was just like yeah. ex-girlfriend that you kind of had on the side. No, she was your first, you know? Yeah. How do you explain to your current partner that your ex-girlfriend is a sex monster? Right. Um, it's just like, hey, this is my. <laughs> and you lost your virginity, whatever virginity means, because yeah. it's a text so, monster. <laughs> and, and how is she going to top that? But, right. Like, <laughs> it's a cynical situation. Um, and because she can't do that. So, you know. No, there's no uh, competing. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's just, it, you know, I mean, I guess they can talk about it when they bring him back or whatever. But, like, <laughs> you know, and all that. But, yeah, I mean, I also thought, like, you know, the relationship between Tick and Montrose was really important for the, for the mm-hmm. show. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in a way, I feel like Tick was kind of a, um, he, was, he was kind of the, the, the character that the show was reacting to, or, you know, yeah. you know more, more than, like, he, that he was just, like, things were happening around him. It wasn't, right. you know, not, he was definitely doing stuff. <laughs> But as far as people's arcs, like his, he obviously did a lot of things, but from the beginning, he was trying to be a hero. I mean, you know, like he was very active from episode one. Um, Like it was, he's positioned in the center. He's the protagonist, but I don't think he's the hero. I mean, he's the hero who's sacrificed himself. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that like the show was was revolving around him in a lot of ways without it being necessarily about him. And that's not a problem. It's just like, I think when you start see the first episode, you think, oh, this is going to be all about this guy. It's certainly plenty, but it's more about like the the relationships that are reverberating around him and his role because he's the great, great grandson of the the guy and all that um and yeah and then when i think about montrose like montrose is interesting I, the the surprise is closet it's like well you know it is michael Ken williams it's kind of a thing that he does in hbo shows <laughs> but like, <laughs> i'm means, assuming that's from the wire i have not seen the wire yeah, yet well, but everybody a, keeps telling a, me yeah it's not a surprise in that one he's like for the first episode that he's in, in that one but it's just like that's like the second time that he's been like this this person on an HBO show but um the you know there's this you know realizing that uh I mean how many men were there who were in Montrose's situation not just closeted but like 
realizing in the second last episode that he, when he was dealing with, you know, hiding his identity was bad, but it was more the generational trauma of like, you know, not just losing someone he cared about in a romantic way, but losing his friend, like right. in front of him. Right. <laughs> and then you can't grieve properly because of what it would mean that you were so close to, to that person. And, and yeah, you just crawl into a bottle and all that. So um, yeah. and then he does everything so that he can not be the person that was almost killed that night. It doesn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I'm not going to lie. I was watching that episode today, um, mainly because that episode, usually I watch all episodes twice and like, I'll watch it on Sunday. Then Monday again, I watch it that episode it took me like a week and some change to watch it again because of the fact that it was just it was a lot it was a lot and the second time that i watched it the first time i watched it i didn't cry but the second time that i watched it i mean i started bawling at that particular scene where montrose is holding the hand of thomas and like right before he right before all of this happens he tells thomas that like well, we can't be friends anymore because you're a faggot and I'm not, you know, and just leaves it at that. And then like, what a way to end, unintentionally end that friendship. You know what I mean? Where he ends up getting shot right in front of you. And I mean, I bawled, I bawled. And I think as like a queer woman of color, that hit me the hardest because of the fact that I think for a lot of people, a lot of us in general, you know, you have to hide certain parts of your identity in order to feel like you need to succeed in order to walk in this world. You already have so many marks against you. Why would you add something extra? You know, and especially in 1950, as a dark-skinned Black man, you know... 1921. And, uh, 1921. This is not even the 50s. This is 1921. Right, exactly. This is Tulsa. And I, I think there was a part that really, like got to me where he goes, you had to be my son. Like I had to lose all of these things so I can get a son because only men have sons. And that like, that broke me because he did all that he could just to prove that he was a man, you know, even including having a son, which we still don't know whether that's actually biologically his or not. But at the end of the day, like, I think that's another conversation as well. This idea of what does family mean in a lot of these contexts. To be a father. Right, right. Because right. he was his father, even father. though, you know, he and he wanted to be his father. That's the thing. He's like, I want that's all I ever wanted to be was your father. And don't worry me saving this guy, you know, which I think for him, he has personal he had personal guilt. You could see that he had personal guilt. And it was even, we can even say like survivor's guilt that he oh, had. Oh yeah. You know, because he, it could have easily been him that got shot first. Right. It could it have been. He was standing on that side of it, just literally, if he was in a, standing in another position. You know? Exactly, exactly. And then not being able, I mean, there's so many layers to it. Just the fact that like, he told off his friend and, you know, that they can't be friends anymore. They can't be whatever anymore. And then the friend gets shot and he doesn't. So he has to survive with all of that. And I think, you know, living with that shame for so many years and then still having to hide this piece of yourself and constantly hide it because of the fact of the times and not just the times of family, 
feeling that you know that they already see you as soft, you know, because his father ingrained that into right. him, that people see you as soft. So you're going to have to show how manly you are wherever you go, you know, and even though it's not right, because I'm not advocating that your generational trauma, you have to enact onto the next generation at all. But now we can kind of understand where he gets that from. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that's heartbreaking. And I love the fact that when we see him getting beat towards the beginning of the episode by his dad, you know, he's like, oh, I deserve that. And how many times have many of us have sort of felt that, you know, if you have like an abusive parent or someone who's abusive around you and you're like, oh yeah, well, I deserve that because I shouldn't have been doing X, Y, Z, you know, and I love that Letty stands up for him. Again, the woman in his life, because I want to preface it with the fact that in both of those instances where Letty's like, no, nobody deserves that. And then when he's getting beat, who comes to his aid is Dora. Not, we don't see his brother coming to his aid. brother's gone. Though, yeah. Even though, you know, he tells us, no, you know, George protected me more than most. But we're like, we never saw that. You know, we see Dora literally standing in front of you, ready to get that whip because she's trying to protect you where your brother's just sort of standing in the back like all right man i hope he stops eventually so you know and, yeah, it's the and, fact- then, and george doesn't help him at the end it's the, it's atticus no it's atticus again right so it's this um it's really just so many layers this idea of like what does it mean to have a queer identity and to hide that identity especially as a person of color like i said before because you have so many marks against you that you're just like why would you add on something intentionally you know so somewhat related <laughs> we gotta talk about yahima because oh, we don't we don't talk about it people are gonna say we didn't talk about it yeah we talk about montrose and we talk about the connection to it First of all, before we even get into the representation aspects of it, which are part of it, but before, like just plot wise, right? They made a whole thing and they bring her back, for, well, them back from the dead and all of this. And then they help them get closer to the book and, they, and then it turns out they didn't even need to do all that. So yeah. like, <laughs> like, 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 just like, like they, they, I mean, ultimately, they should have left them where, like, they didn't need to. They should have just her. left her where yeah, she was. Yeah, you know, like, but yeah, why did you why did you bring back to Chicago and then all the like, like it just it seemed like, yeah, yeah. On so so just now, of course, they didn't know that, right? Like they they found out later, so that isn't necessarily the you know issue with all of that. It's more I'm just like, well, that was silly, um, <laughs> but then it's like. If you're gonna go through the trouble of bringing in underrepresented groups and make a point of it, <laughs> then like highlight her. Why would you kill her? Right. Why? Right. Justice for Yahima. Justice for her. Right. Like, what was the point? <laughs> you didn't have. You just could have been. A, just, just here's this is a you know a female body. It could have just been that the story didn't change the story. Right. No. It's just. It's just. It's just. You just like her body reforms and then you're like oh that's different and then she says two spirit and then, then they'll bring it up again and then they move on and then that's it it's just like and then we never hear about her again yeah 
don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It, but the thing is, Misha Green, the showrunner, has actually said, "Like, I was trying to do a thing. I didn't do a good job of it." So you know, maybe I'm glad she acknowledged yeah, it. Though. Yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe. I mean, like the thing has obviously been filmed months ago, or you know, so yeah. it's not gonna do anything about it at this point. But like, yeah. Well, technically, let's put it like this: it's a sci-fi show, right? right. Yeah. Like they we didn't always bring her back somehow. Well, no, I meant in, in the episode that already existed. Right, right, right. Yeah. I know, but I'm like, they can still rectify it. You know, oh, we get yeah. a season two, maybe because she was already kind of dead before. Oh, right, yeah. So, no. Like, we could just bring her back to life. Like, just bring and her back. Hippolyta has been to different planets and so forth. You know, right. maybe, maybe he was the, the queen or, you know, some place. She's just chilling on another planet. Right. I'm going to choose to believe that she's just chilling on another planet right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it was just sort of like, it's just, it was just like, why? Just like, yeah. why? Just didn't seem necessary. Um, so, but like, you're just like, I get it. But it's, and it's that trope. And then, and then some people also say that in a way, Ruby was getting in touch with queerness and then she dies. So <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Was she actually attracted to that person? Or was right. she, I don't know, what's like, because what she was, like, what was happening there, right? Because she, right. we know at no point, like, it was always William, like, so what was, right. the, is she attracted to the person? is a, per well, this is an interesting question in general, is, is one attracted to the person inside or to the body? And it's probably both, but, like, <laughs> it's an interesting question. But now we made ourselves, since we just talked about Ruby, back to Christina, which is, which is a <laughs> whole situation. It's just a whole situation. A complete situation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, in the first episode, she shows up in this car, and you're just like, this is, like, this is not, like, I don't trust this person. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, she can do magic. Okay. Yeah. Don't trust this person. And it's like, oh, but she's helping them. And it's like, but, but. Don't trust. Nope. Nope. And then when you find out that she's just running coma experiments on because I guess because I guess Ruby's not technically dead right she's in a vegetative state or something like right because those people aren't actually dead because if they were dead no, they yeah be, yeah but you know what I'm saying um is that yeah I don't know I think there's points to be made because it's a lot of it is that you can't it's there's a, there's a lot in this show about you can't experience things from the outside you can try but you can't like you right. can't be in, inhabit things from the outside, which is why her like, well, I think I'll just die like Emmett Till died. Oh, I understand now. Um, like, <laughs> it's like, but you know, you're not going to die. So, so like, it's not, it's not the same. Right. You know. It's not literally the like the physical pain of what happened isn't is it's like one tenth of the issue there. Right. right. It's like, like you're not going to have that fear that, right, that Emmett Till had that he you know, when these people are coming to get him, there's that fear that he knew that he wasn't coming back. Like, to me, and you, I, know, yeah. you knew that you were going to come back. Right. You know? and, and also, like, she paid them to get that, to do it. So she wasn't, like, abducted from, like, her relative's house. No. You know, and then, like, and then, ha and then like, you know, and, and then, like, the... I, I, I don't know what this boy was thinking, but like the whole like, here is a, 
my piece in what is a common thing that happens to people in my situation like that right wait i mean i'm sure in the moment he's just scared but like there's obviously a lot of things going through a person's head and like she's just thinking huh there was a tire iron involved <laughs> and there was a river and then you know like i get and there were two people like she like set it up like it was a play <laughs> right and like that to me was just sort of like uh like that that sort of that to me was like it's like when i had a, a, a white female coworker who tried to tell me that that she was going through the same things i was going through and i was like <laughs> nah right and like, mm, uh you know and and it was just sort of like yeah uh maybe we shouldn't nope we should not it's just like i'm not gonna she's not gonna do it uh and then there's like the fact that she she it's 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 that what that joke is that like they they were in on the heist they just didn't like their cut right you know yeah. they uh you know she just she didn't want to help anyone she just wanted to be immortal <laughs> like, yeah it was very literal with her but like it's a <laughs> metaphor for like how you just let's just say a certain demographic sometimes is um and i'm not saying women in general that's not what i said people um it's <laughs> not what i said uh i'm just saying like very extremely like generationally you know castle owning wealthy white women is not right that's what that she wasn't just like a white woman she like her family had she was of a a certain caliber exactly exactly like she's just driving around in a magic cadillac or something or whatever (laughs) that was um and understanding that we all talk about how bad things were for women at the time and they were and are but they weren't nearly as bad for women with that much money and power Um, which has always been the case but like people when people talk about bringing the country back to that time period that certain groups don't (laughs) they don't care that much about going back there because they were fine right you know they don't have a problem with it like they've always been on top so don't go back to the 50s because they you know they just you're just comfortable um and they weren't you know so that's um yeah, I don't know, man. I think I know, like, it was obvious from the beginning not to trust her. I was wondering if the show was was playing with us to see if, like, actually she'll turn out to be good. I was like, no. No, no. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, Jordan Peele already ruined it for us with this yeah. horror genre. Like, I'm sorry to say this, no disrespect, white people, but thanks to Jordan Peele, in anything that has him remotely attached to it, I'm not going to trust the white people in it. I'm just not. You know, their intentions. I mean, at least with Christina, I have to give her the benefit of the doubt in the sense that she was always very much upfront with what yeah, I mean, she was doing. She that- never lied. She was just like, listen, I, I want to become immortal. This is how I have to do it. Like, she, she was, might not, you know. She was just <laughs> like, look, you need to die for my spell to work. So, yeah. and it's like, you, you know, she was telling the truth at least um there's there's that she was not inauthentic um yeah and she uh she also was um she from the beginning would say like i'm gonna do this thing and then she would do the thing right yeah. like she said to to ruby before she put her in the coma or whatever like that she would protect letty and then you see in a little flashback that she like puts the invulnerability spell back on her, back she, on her. Yeah. She, she would do it she did the thing. She did everything she said she was going to do. But talking about which, 
Yeah. Sorry, I, I just want to point that one part out because I think for me, that relationship between Ruby and Christina was the hardest for me to follow in the sense of because I'm like, we never know, even though Christina is always kind of upfront, we never know what her true feelings are, especially when it comes to Ruby. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen her lie, we've seen her you know, not keep her word. We've seen her just do what she had to do to survive. But yet, like with this thing, she pushes Letty out of the window, but still puts a protection spell on her, even though Ruby is technically in this comatose state that technically, as far as we know, she's not coming back. Right. You know what I mean? There's no disappointment for Christina to go back to, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the really interesting thing for me is the sense of like, there is a level of caring that she had for Ruby in her own twisted, weird, weird way, because it wasn't like she was using Ruby completely. There was a level of care that she had for Ruby. And I can see in a sense why Ruby, Ruby gravitated towards that as opposed to like Letty, where she constantly felt like Letty was always constantly taking advantage of her and trying to hustle her, you know, yeah. and then here comes Christina, who's like, listen, I'm, every time something goes down, I'm going to tell you the truth about it. And that's what it is, you know, and whether their relationship was an actual like love affair or not, I think the jury's still out on that, but there is a level of care that I think Christina had for Ruby and vice versa, because Ruby felt like, you know, this is the first person that's not you know, trying to get something out of me because even if she is, she's telling me straight up front and not on some like, I'm doing this out of my love for you. No, this is what I want for me. And if you want to help me, here it is. If you don't, you can leave, you know? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, there's a lot of question marks there because I'm just like, I do think in her limited ability to do so, she did care about Ruby. She just had a, yeah. a limited ability to do so. Right. Like she's just a narcissist, but like she, like whatever small, no, I don't think anyone is like 0% or 100% of anyone. Right. So I think that like she, you know, she's 95% only caring about herself. There's still like some very small percentage who is able to I see, mean, you know, something in other humans. Right. Because even when she like at that part where Letty figures out that Ruby is not Ruby, you know, spoiler alert. Sorry, I maybe I should have said that before. Yeah, but, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, you can kind of hear the pain in her voice, where it's like, it's because of you, Ruby had to die. She doesn't put that onus on herself. Like she's not like, well, I killed Ruby because Ruby was trying to steal from me. No, she's like, because you put Ruby in that situation, I had to do it. And <sighs> this sounds twisted as hell, but in her own twisted way that shows her caring of Ruby in this weird, like I said, this weird, weird way, because you can see that maybe she kind of didn't really want to kill Ruby, but she had to, or she felt like she had to, not that she actually had to, but she felt like she had to. Well, she so, just had, she had to fulfill her plan or whatever it was. Right. It was interesting that for all of this time when she's not helping anyone besides Ruby, but then when she's under the rock, she's like, help me. And it's like, all right. Yeah. You know, um, what I do, what I found interesting about this, which I guess we can close off the conversation on because it's the end of the show, is like literally that show, is that when Dee shows up with her arm, um, 
and then she's she's she says you still don't get it do you yeah um and wait she says they still don't get it because that that ambiguity is like the topic right yeah yeah and i wonder how many people in the audience realized they were being spoken about um (laughs) so anyway she's she does that and then she she not she doesn't just strangle her she like pops her head off <laughs> you know she's just like yeah like crushes crushes her throat and then her head pops off uh right. basically which i thought is interesting because first of all it's a young girl right oh, with, with a robot arm look people at this point um <laughs> but uh she so it's a young girl and she there's a couple things happening here one i remember when when after Get Out came out, The Root had an article that said, what does Becky have to do to get murked, right? Because <laughs> technically at the end of the movie, like she doesn't actually, she, show, she doesn't die on the screen, right? No. Uh, Alison Williams' character. That doesn't mean she doesn't die. I mean, she's been like run over and all this stuff, but like she, like they just drive away. Uh, right. But like the, um, but and like on in the movie, he's strangling her until his friend shows up and he gets in a car, right? right? Uh, and I think if he had succeeded, if he had finished that off, people would have, I can't believe that he did this to this point. And I just can't believe, right? So I think in comparison, because remember, Peel's involved in this too. He didn't write right, that, But that I think in comparison, the fact that it was a young girl, people can't say that. <laughs> right, right. But the character is just as bad, if not worse. So she deserves <laughs> the same fate as far as the deserves within a movie or TV show. Right. And I think that in my in my little head canon, like <laughs> D is talking to the people who were who were like, oh, we just need to make sure Rose survives in the movie because it's too it's too insensitive. And then right. D is saying they just don't get it. You can't let them stay alive after they do this. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to crush them, um, right? Because they're going to keep doing this. They're um, going to keep coming back. Like in order to let her go is not just stripping her power because i think that was the only thing they were planning to do was to bind her powers yeah and it's like you can't just do that and that was honestly the thing that i was thinking too maybe because like i was an avid charmed fan back in the day so i'm like i know all about binding powers you know in my limited capacity of witchcraft because my 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 ideas of witchcraft come from the craft and charm that's it, you know? So I'm like, yeah, of course I'm an expert on this based on these two things that I've watched. But, you know, me thinking of like, okay, they're binding her powers, which means that it can always be unbound. You know, it was never something like, okay, you bind her powers, you're binding it forever. And so when D comes up and she's like, they just don't learn or whatever she said, you know, that, that ambiguity there, I was just like, wait, is she talking about the fact that Letty and them never actually finished a job? Or is she talking to the audience? Or is she talking to white people? What, who's she talking to, you know? Because for me, I'm like, at first, I, t- I took it as like, she's talking about Letty and them. Like, they just don't learn that you need to finish the job. You need to finish your job. And I love the way that you said that, like, with D, people can't say, get up in arms and be like, how dare you do that? You know, because there is something very different about a Black man being hunted versus a little black girl, you know, who has a curse put on her. She's turned into something. She's being hunted by these Topsy and Bopsy any characters. And then thanks to her mother, she survives. And comes out stronger. She comes out stronger, but she still loses a piece of herself, right? So it's like, 
in a way she deserves it as, a, as opposed to, um, oh, what was Daniel Kaluuya's character in Get Out? Chris, as opposed to Chris, who is just like, you know, I feel a lot of people are like, well, you put yourself in that situation. You know what I mean? Like you went into this all white town, not knowing anything about this girl. <laughs> it was like, I mean, thankfully you got out, but you know, but yeah, I mean, here, here's, I think that's the thing. That's the major difference where, you know, Dee doesn't get cursed in some faraway land. She gets cursed in her hometown. She gets cursed on the day of the funeral of her best friend. You know, talk about the levels of therapy that these characters all need. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, D Montrose especially. Montrose, oh, yeah. I will love to start a GoFundMe if he was a real life person just to get him some good therapy because the amount of people that he lost in his life, phew. But yeah, I think, I, I, like I said, I, I love that aspect of you saying, you know, I think it was poignant to have the season end with this little black girl being the one to kind of save the day. You know, she and to just like the job. End it. End it. It's yeah. Like she just ends it. She doesn't get her Shagoff to do it. She doesn't like bring back Letty and her mom and Montrose. No, she's just like, I'm gonna walk up here in the middle of the night in some random ass forest in Artem, Massachusetts. I see you under a brick of pile, like a pile of bricks. And I'm just going to finish the job. I'm going to do what they couldn't do. I'm just going to finish it. And that's it. Right. And, and I do wonder if, if she's talking about them. Because I don't know that they saw her and, and like left her there. I think they just ran. Yeah. And fell. You know. Right. Like, like I think they were just like, I don't think they even realized she left the car. Right. Like, yeah. And I also don't think that they. I'm saying I don't think that they realized that Christina was alive or not alive. Like they, oh, right. they, they bound her powers. And then the thing fell. And they, they ran. Because right. they kind of just left her to die. Right. They just assume. Yeah. But they, they say you can't even assume. Right. But, and that's like, and that, but that's always like sci-fi and horror movie trope number one. Like, like you have to see, see the person the die. Because right. if you don't see them die, they can always come back. That's how Michael Myers comes back for the million Halloween movies that they have. Like you just you know what I mean? Assume they're dead. Yeah. Um, and that's why, and it's the same thing that happens. And it's the worst is when someone dies off screen and they're like, no, no, they're just dead. I was like, well, then, well, then why would you do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, which is why also, which is also why people are just like, I don't know about Ruby. Like we say, you know, because we, 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 you know, we think that she's the, you know, uh, in the vegetative state because we saw like a flash to it. Right. Um, but we didn't see it happen. So now part, of, it part of that, may, yeah, part of that might be yeah. if they don't want to show it, but they also showed Uncle George dying. So you know, they showed yeah. Ad, showed Addie's, you know. So yeah, it, there's there's definitely more to that whole Ruby thing. I honestly don't think even you know we've been talking about Christina caring somewhat and on some level for Ruby. I I honestly don't think that she's like in that vegetative state the way William and Dell are. I think there has to be something different. I'm going to choose to believe that. She might have just like knocked her out. Like, yeah. because I don't know why people have to be in a vegetative state for this thing to happen. I mean, it's magic, right? right? Like, I, I don't know what it is about, because there's like fluids coming in and out. They have to be alive is right. the rule, right? They can't be dead, dead. No, they uh, have to be alive. Right, and in fact, the the Dell was, she, she was just like, brain damage from being hit with a shovel is what right. happened 
right? Um, which is also good, by the way, because in, in movies and TV shows, people get like hit with a thing and then they just pop up. It's like, no, you can hit right. it double. That's probably, this is kind of it. That's kind of it. Like you're, you're kind of done at that yeah. point. Yeah, it's like your skull is just like, just that's, that's the end. Um, so do you have any final thoughts on the show before we uh, wrap it up here? There's a lot, you know, <laughs> could go on forever, but we can't have it forever. Right. So. Um, you know, I think for me, my final thoughts on the show in and of itself, obviously, I think it's a great show, you know, um, that's my opinion. I don't know about everybody else, but I think I'm going to go back to the part where we said, you know, there were just different levels of blackness. And this is what I absolutely loved about this show is that they showed, you know, little black kids being free and happy up until, you know, Emmett Till and Dee with the Piccaninnies. Um, you know, they showed black women being badasses and having not to be saved and doing the saving, but yet still having these vulnerabilities, which, you know, we don't get that often. We get the strong black women trope and then that's it. They don't have layers to them, you know? They're just so um, strong, they don't have emotion. Right, exactly. And so they're basically men. <laughs> right, exactly. It, it, that's what it is, is yeah. that they're basically men, you know? And then I love the fact going to the men that there is that vulnerability that they show for them too. Like they show Tick crying a lot and grappling with having to figure out who his family is, you know, and being confused by it and, and being angered and crying and Montrose finally coming out of who he is and, and being okay to be free in himself. So I love the fact that we had all these different facets. And I guess I'm gonna end with this. This is the one thing that I say that I loved about this show is that usually, I think before, not now because we're having a shift now with like Watchmen and all these other shows, before we always had, you know, the hero and the bad guy. There was always a strict binary line. That's the hero, this is the person that you're supposed to root for. And this is the person that you want to hopefully end up dead. And I think when we have characters such as Tick, such as Letty, even Ruby, you know, we root for them, but then at times we're just like, oh, I need you to go away. Like, we, we, don't, we don't want you to succeed in this part, you know? So, and that's, that's humanity. I want to end it with there, that that's, that's how we are in real life. None of us are infinitely good or infinitely bad we all have our faults we all have our good things with it so it's that idea of like fully realizing what a person is is being able to show that in a show that's so brilliantly weaving in all these different stories with it it's just that was beautiful to me and i love it i will stand this show forever so my last point is going to be briefly there are a lot of within the field of academia and education in the last several months since i've been on sort of a come up doing this writing and all this stuff i've been doing a lot of people who have reached out to help me are in the uh let's just say the same demographic as between a braithwaite oh. and uh I, I i'm sure that they do genuinely care for me but, I, but I'm watching them. <laughs> Watch them. For real. 
I, I don't I don't want to have to pull out the biotic arm. But anyway, so so uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just gonna put it up pretty soon. So yeah, thanks. <laughs>